back with episode 12 of the Hyperworks podcast. I'm Alex, Jake. Uh, can you do an intro for Craig, Jake? Where do we begin? Full disclosure, used to work with Craig in London. We're going to segment it, I think, and uh, go through a little bit of a journey. But Craig, if you want to intro where you're at now, that would be uh, lovely. Yeah, yeah. Cheers, guys, and uh, thanks for having me on. This is my my first podcast, as I was telling you. So uh, you have to bear with me and hold my hand for it a little bit. But uh, I don't know. Do you want Do you want the long wind story, or do you want just the short one? Go for the long. Long wind. All right. Go on, then. I'll bore everyone to death uh, a couple of minutes in. But um, well, so I'm Craig. So uh, I'm managing director of a, an agency uh, called Wolfpad. We're a, met- a wider kind of metaverse agency, but we specialize primarily in uh, building digital experiences inside of games, uh, consulting and sponsorship in esports um, and also games as well. Um, and the, the kind of the journey started in 2015. So I was working for a company called SoccerX, which uh, Jake would have heard all about many years ago now. And um, Basically, uh, so there was a guy called David, by the way, who, which, which is a great name, right? Um, David, by he, the way, like literally by the way, he was called by the way. By the way. <laughs> David, by That's the a way. chili pepper song, right? That's all chili peppers. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. A great guy, man. And, um, and he's a big Wolves fan. And I'm, 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 a, I'm a big Wolves fan as well. And, uh, and he was the first ever professional FIFA player to be signed by a football club, which was Wolfsburg. Mm. So this was 2015. He was telling me all about this thing called eSports. So I was like, what on earth is that, man? And then, um, and then dug it a bit deeper into it. And I was like, wow, okay, like that is the future of sports entertainment. Uh, I was like, I've got to be involved. But the industry was so in its infancy, like it, it, it was just like fully kids, to be honest. So I was like, right. I'll keep an eye on it and, and see where, where it goes. Ended up going to Innovation Enterprise and meeting meeting your boy Jakey over there and uh, had a lot of fun there, which which was pretty crazy, right? Um, and then uh, and then wanted to get back into uh, sports through into a rights holder. And this uh, company called Fanatic uh, came up, which is in 2017. I used to work with them, uh, OnePlus. Did what did you yeah, do? Yeah, um, partnership with them. Which, uh, which yeah, one? George Mead, the guy was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You see, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, we we, we can definitely All talk world. about that in a minute. I think he's been let go now. He's at uh, Spotify. Spotify, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, what? So, what? You wanted to work in his team, or? No, we 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 did a deal with Fnatic. They were they were like our uh, esports partner. For OnePlus, so they they um oh, we oh, sent phones. Oh, sorry, you work for OnePlus. Yeah, 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 yeah. Ah, yeah. mate, I did that deal. Yeah, yeah. Really? Twenty. Um, um, yeah, yeah. Twenty eighteen. Yeah, that was me. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I onboarded oh, after it? that, but yeah. Oh, mate, yeah, we we'll have to get More to that. Ones. I mean, um, what was his name? The German guy I used to deal with. I've forgotten his name now. Uh, really nice bloke. Um, mm. but yeah, but anyway, we get into it. So where was I, where was I rumbling on? Um. So yeah, so basically, uh, got, wanted to get back into sport. This role at Fnatic came up, and um, and then Fnatic, uh, one of the biggest uh, esports rights holders in the world, like twenty or twenty-five million fans worldwide. This job yeah. came up in partnerships for commercial, and I was like, right, I've got to, I've got to take this. 
So I uh, grabbed it with both hands and managed to work my way up to, um, to director uh, as a, a partner development director, uh, which is just another word for commercial director. Uh, and, uh, and then did that for nearly four years. Um, and then managed to work with brands like BMW, Gucci, OnePlus, uh, Monster Energy, Lavazza, Ben & Jerry's. I mean, the, the list goes on. So I was very, very fortunate um, and, and really enjoyed my time. And it basically got to a point where I kind of achieved everything that I wanted to at, at Fanatic. We had grown the business. When I first joined, it was worth roughly around 110 to 120 million. Uh, and then when I left, we'd grown it to 230 or 235 million. So that was like a big thing for me. I'd grown the revenues by over 300%. We'd completely transformed the business. And uh, so I was like, right, you know, I'll kind of sail off into the sunset type thing. Um, and what I was noticing was a bit of a shift and a trend going on uh, within the space, which was going more towards gaming. Um, I did a deal with Lavazza where we... Um, we created a, a Fortnite map and put the, and we called it the icons of Italy. So we put like the Colosseum in and we put Lavazza's HQ in and we had like a big coffee machine in the middle and all these wacky things. And, um, and, the, and the results came back and I was like, wow, people are spending 28 minutes on average inside this experience. And, uh, and so I went to, um, I went to a, a colleague and I was like, are you seeing this? And he was like, mate, I'm one step ahead of you. I've already set up a company and doing this type of stuff. So that's where Carter was born. Um, and I went on board as a co-founder to uh, grow the business to a certain point through my connections and everything else. Managed to bring in um, Unilever through the Sunsilk brand, uh, which is a huge brand. Uh, and then managed to also bring in, and I can't say for legal reasons, but managed to bring in one of the biggest football clubs in the world. And we created the Blue Moon Experience. So you can connect the dots on that one, who it was. Um, and um, and then basically got to a point with that company where I was like, look, you know, we've achieved what we wanted. I'll sell my equity and make a bit of money and and, and put all my eggs into my, my other business, which is Wolfpack Gaming. So Wolfpack was born just out of leaving Fnatic uh, as there was like a bit of a, a gap that I found in terms of brands were giving this top-down message saying, you've got to be in esports, you've got to be in gaming. And the message was filtering down through and basically that no one at a senior director level had the, the resource, the time or the energy really to, to take it on. So I had a great gig in golf or football or whatever. So the message was keep going down and down and down. And it would be like the most junior person in the business would put their hand up and say, well, I'm a gamer. And all of a sudden, they've got to put together like a, a huge strategy. And usually they, they would mess it up or not do a very good job. So then the director would have to take it back on and basically either outsource it to an agency or take it on themselves. So that's where, where, we, where Wolfpack came in. Um, and then managed to secure a pretty big sponsorship deal with Tezos and Misfits, um, like an eight-figure deal. Um, got some good clients on board, smaller clients. So, yeah, everything was ticking along nicely. And then now managed to expand the business into a wider metaverse company. So uh, that's me, and that is my absolute ramble. So there you go. Love that, mate. Absolutely love that. To be honest <laughs> with you, Craig, uh, I think we should, um, you know, we've done Soccer X, but... Let's go in chronological order. We'll get to the yeah. OnePlus gig in a minute. You know, um, I have to say straight up, um, I want to shout out, do a little bit of a shout out to the Innovation Enterprise. Wouldn't be sat on this yeah. call with Craigie right now if it wasn't. 
um, yeah, you know, mad times. Um, I, you know, I know this is entertainment, but why don't we just summarize in a, in a nutshell? What are your feelings about the innovation enterprise, Craig? Well, my, my feelings about Rich and Josie are, uh, are, are brilliant, right? I mean, they were, uh, they, I mean, what owners, right? They, I mean, I, I remember walking in on the first day and they were like, do you want to come to Barcelona? All expenses paid. I was like, what? <laughs> and they were like, let's go to Barcelona for a mad pisser. Sorry, can we, can we swear and stuff on, the, on here? Or? Yeah, we can. Yeah, 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 go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Like, they're like, oh, let's go, let's go on a mad piss-up in Barcelona, like, all expenses paid. I was like, fuck yeah. I was like, right, I'm in, man. And bear in mind, we're like 26, 27, aren't we, at this point? And like, so, uh, and, and I was like, yeah. And that was my first week. And I was like, I've landed the jackpot here. And then, Literally within what three months or something, it just all unraveled when uh, good old Tim came in and and the bullying and all sorts, mate. I do mm. remember. I remember the first time I met you. Actually, it was in Barcelona. You'd literally been at the company less than a few days, I think, and yeah. I was sat opposite you, and we were just drinking and sharing food. I think it may have even been the same night that um, we went to that nightclub and uh, the incident with Kirsty. Big up Kirsty. Yeah. Uh, happened yeah. when uh, you know I told her that she's a, a funny girl. I'm sure that she's still a funny girl today, um, but it didn't go down too well. So I remember that quite yeah. quite distinctly. Great. Yeah. So, uh, I'd, uh, I'd say. Go on, uh, I'd say people at Innovation Enterprise, mate, had a love hate relationship with you. You're very, you're very outspoken. I always loved that about you. Never. I've never heard that about Jake before, to be honest. <laughs> Can't recall ever anyone saying that before. You, honestly, your brother, mate, just speaks his mind. I love people like that. There's no bullshit. It's just like what you see is what you get. When I see a spade, I call a spade. And in London, that is rare, man. Like, <clears throat> you know what I mean? That's why me and Jake hit it off like straight away, you know? Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I will say this uh, number one <laughs> events director. Uh, at the end of my yeah. first year, smash them KPIs. Again, Mate, didn't necessarily make it. you popular, but I knew I was going to get it. And I told people I was hey, going to do it. Smash it. I mean, like, it just, it just goes to show the culture that they created there and how good it was that, you know, I'm still, I still talk to you a lot. I still see Pedro, uh, Andy, George, uh, 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 Adam. I, I still see those guys, like, a fair amount. And that just goes to show, mate, the culture that they built in that company was just top draw. And I know that a lot of them are still, you know, working in the event space now and still having great success, working together still. So it just goes to show, mate, it was special times, you know. I, I totally agree. I mean, I think Rich is a, a startup genius, to be quite honest yeah. with you. I think he's a startup genius. Like, you know, he, he's grown like two, two startups now, probably even more to the point of like, you know, 20, 20 million a year within the space of the thing that makes it amazing is not just the fact that he's grown two startups to plus 20 mil, probably, you know, I don't know about the second company. I know the first one, but um, it's the speed of which he does it, you know, within a few years, he's got these companies pumping, ready to sell to the, uh, to the New York investors. Like that's what he does. And again, I think part of that does come from culture, innovation enterprise. When you walk in there, they, they make you do an interview in front of the whole company. You sit on a table in front of the whole company when I walked in there. If you can't say it at the table and everybody doesn't get to hear it, 
then you know you're not one of us basically you need to you need to be able to say everything in front of everyone so i think yeah crucial probably point to take away here is that you know the culture that they fostered is probably part of the secret sauce for yeah. having the successful startup i yeah. completely agree mate it's it's definitely the best culture wise it's definitely the best business i've ever worked for um like it's it was just it was just next level i don't know if it's a mix also in terms of you know your personal journey um going through your mid to late 20s and discovering who you are and having a bit of money in your bank for co- probably the first time in your life and 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 taking on extra responsibilities so i don't know if it is a mix between like you know the good times of, of discovering who you are as a human versus your career or whether it was a mixture of both i think it's a mixture of both because the company was <clears throat> the company was brilliant and and the people in it were just excellent and it all started at the top so yeah man and we've got these these friendships you know like literally right now and um they're ones that i think will last for a lifetime and and you can't really ask for more than that from your workplace can you fully agree with that you know I, even now like occasionally you've mentioned some names some people that again i still keep in touch with i still ping christophe ped uh afo <laughs> you know so you it's a a great place great I place i love to work. those boys man i was at christophe's wedding last year i mean like talk about the most generous bloke in the world like the guy's just a gemini like i mean and the, him and ped together are just like i can't honestly i've never met two people like it in my life like they're just so unique so funny so kind so so it's just like so bonkers like you know what i mean but but in the best the best way i mean like we had that bonkers manager didn't we what was his name with the fake teeth ashley ashley yeah like, do you remember him? again oh, I, I do remember that guy i i do remember that yeah oh Craig, are you God. gonna spill that it's like we had this boss come in who like i mean let's let's not be around the bush here. it was a coke addict and probably yeah yeah like like probably had multiple addictions right um had come back from like you know thailand or something where he got some woman pregnant and like all this type of weird stuff and he and he's no he came from the uae wasn't it, or something um but and, like, yeah. he just moved from the uae he was british but um, anyway, and, um, and, then, and then, like, he started off well, didn't he? He started off well. He's like this, you know, this older bloke who come in and and, uh, and he'd been hired with a bit of a reputation type thing. And he was like, right, we're going to be learning about this and we're going to do this. And I was like, bloody hell, this guy, like, knows his stuff. And then uh, we were like, oh, do you want to come for a beer? And he was like, oh, you know, I've, I've quit. Like, I'm off here. I've, I've gone clean and everything else. We were like, oh, piss off, mate. Just, just come for a beer, man. So, so we came for a beer for us and little did we know we absolutely opened a can of worms and like <laughs> after like after like four or five pints another another person comes from within ashley and it's just like this geezer who's just like who's got the bag who's fucking doing this <laughs> and he's like right who's getting a brass all this stuff and you're just like what uh, <laughs> you're like what happened to the professional? Like, what's going on? And like, a bit, a bit young as we were, we were just like, right, let's go on a mad one, man. And like, we had this mental night in Shoreditch once, and uh, and we all came back to mine, 
and uh, and then, and, uh, and then we, we would, it just got it just got really funky. It got very very weird. Uh, Ashley, I got a question, guys. Sorry, it's one wrap. I got I got a question. Like th- this company sounds like Stratton Oakmont. It's Wolf of Wall Street vibes. Do you think like um? Do you think like? Because a lot of people say like the culture. You need to have like a a strong family culture. Um, but there's other people that say like you need dysfunction. You need different personalities. You need you need all these kind of people bashing off the walls. Like like do you think like this company was like more like Stratton Oakmont, like just crazy people, but get the shit done, and it doesn't matter, right? As long as you you know, do the job. I mean, yeah, probably. I don't know if uh, Jake yeah. agrees, but uh, I definitely think... had a few wrongons in there. Yeah, there was a few wrongons, <laughs> but generally speaking, when uh, Rich and Josie were at the helm, I think they really had a talent for choosing, you know, like entrepreneurial people that were going to push the, the boat out and get it to the next level. Like they, the amount of responsibility they gave us, like 24, 25 years of age, you know, it was just absolutely insane. And then obviously back that up with like all you can spend Amex, five star hotels and Morton Steakhouse every night. Like, but you think the thing complain. is, right, you see these you see these companies now and they always talk about culture fit, right? You've got to fit into the culture, you know, all these companies. Um, do you think that's kind of bullshit then? Like, yeah, because I think it's it bullshit. sounds like you guys I, I think... are all just like, like different backgrounds and like you somehow well, kind of made it work. Pick the vibe, I think. I think they picked a vibe. Yeah. I think they were like, "Is this person? Is this person actually what they're saying? Are they authentic?" And I think if they mm-hmm. were, you're in. You know, I'll tell you a story. Actually, last one before we move on to the next segment. Roy Astle. Yeah, we can, we can stay on IE for ages, mate. Yeah, we so, probably mate, I haven't even talked about Gigi yet. In my interview is crazy. Forgot. Yeah, Roy Astley. Uh, shout out to that lad. There's a guy that I'd love to have a beer with. I'd Rick, Rick Astley. Roy Astley. Have to Rick, say that no, guy's no, 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 name. Okay. That guy is a, a legend, a real legend. You know, like he was so young but so mature for his age. You know, like and he didn't care what anybody thought about him, but everybody loved Roy Astley. And in his interview, he told he told he got asked a question by Josie, the CEO. He said, "Why shouldn't we hire you, Roy?" And Roy replied. Well, if you hire me, I'll be on that pool table over there and I'll be playing table tennis and making the most of the free drinks. And I'll probably, that's probably what I'll be doing. And they're the reasons why you shouldn't hire me. And they all, you know, Roy left the interview and they all chatted like, I'm not sure we should, you know, he's a scouser as well. I'm not sure we should hire him, you know, all this. And Rich, who was the other owner of the business, just turned around and went, I want him in. Hire him. I want him in. And I think that that really, that summarizes the business like he really you know roy meant everything that he ever said basically yeah. in a nutshell go on then roy, roy is like I, I, it's just such a shame i haven't spoken to roy in, in a few years but he's just one of those authentic kind genuine people that just wants wants what wants to do his work and take it seriously but wants to have a lot of fun doing it and he brought a great balance with in that sales team because that sales team was like they used to hustle right and and at times it could get quite it could get quite intense whereas roy was just perfect whenever the whenever the temperature was getting up here he would bring it right back down right and and he was really integral to that team and um, I don't know what he's doing now, but Roy is just a top, top bloke, really is. What what happened to the company? Like, what is it still like going or like, did it, what's happening right now? 
Well, God. there was a, a hostile takeover by an yes. American consortium, basically. And, um, and the Americans came in, and to, and to be honest with you, they, they were quite arrogant. So, um, and, and it also kind of, from a business standpoint, it didn't really make sense. Not, like, I'd say, what, about 80, 90% of our business, Jake, maybe a bit less, um, was, was based in the States. So, uh, but our HQ was in London, in Shoreditch. So it didn't really make sense that much from that perspective. But, um, but they came in and were just like, we know this better than you. Uh, you know, this is where we see things going. If, you, if you're not on board, tough shit, like very kind of uh, hostile. Uh, and it was run by a guy called Tim Skenyon. And, um, and Tim, uh, I mean, I mean well, how do I, I'm not going to be very politically correct here, but like Tim Skenyon was a fucking twat. Like, like <laughs> he was, <clears throat> he was a, to me personally, he was a very insecure uh, individual who, uh, was winging it and thought he would, and had a bit of a messiah complex because he probably had imposter syndrome a little bit uh, and created this thing called like the playbook, right? And very American. And he was just like, you have to you live and die by the playbook. It's my Bible. I, I go on planes and add bits to it, blah, blah, blah. And I was, I was the most experienced person in the sales team. And so like, I know a bullshitter when I see one. And I remember in the, coming out of the first meeting, um, I said to the guys, I was like, he's full of shit. Like, this guy knows nothing. I was like, he's wrong on this, this, and this. And then, like, proved him wrong, essentially. And, uh, and, and he was basically uh, authoritarian. He was like, I'm going to monitor everything that you do, your emails, your phone calls, everything. And if you're not following it bit by bit by the, on the playbook, you'll hear about it. So literally, you would you'd send these emails off, right, in, like, your own tone, your own sales voice, and all stuff. Next day, you get emails from Tim saying, like, why have you said that? Why have you done this? Why didn't you do this? And you're just like, you're literally reading every word that we're, we're saying here. And then, uh, anyway, me and him clashed quite a bit. And uh, and it ended up with him kind of making an example out of me um, because he knew that I was fairly popular with, with the sales team and, and the wider business. So he was using me as a scapegoat to, to stamp his authority. So he made me put on my screen, uh, what was it, Furinus, wasn't it? Furinus, yeah. But like, it is, and like Jake described it perfectly at the time, he went, that's your dunce cap. And I was <laughs> like, yeah, absolutely. And uh, <clears throat> and then anyway, I ended up leaving for, 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 for Fnatic, um, told Tim on the morning, and, uh, and in true Tim Skenyon style, he, uh, he got security to escort me out. And, like, and I was like, do you really, like, within 20 minutes? I was like, like, security, like, that's not how you do things in Britain, in the UK. Like, this is ridiculous. And, again, it was to make a show, right, because he was an insecure man and, and had imposter syndrome. And, um, and literally, people were crying. Like, I was getting walked out by security with, like, people crying. I was like, what the fuck's going on here? <laughs> like, you know. I'm just trying to come in and make a company a bit of money. Like, what's going on? But uh, anyway, he was he was uh, he was an asshole, uh, an absolute twat. <laughs> but however, saying all this, if I was to see him, I'd actually thank him. I really would. I'd, I, if I was to randomly see him in a bar or on the street or something, I'd actually go up to him, shake his hand, and I'd thank him um, because. 
he he actually taught me, I think, a lot of lessons. He, he he obviously taught me a lot of lessons on how not to lead, right, and how to be a bad leader. But he also taught me a lot of lessons about myself and what I'm comfortable with and what I'm not comfortable with. And also, I think at that point, he did give me a kick up the arse that I needed as a 27-year-old who probably got a bit lax and a bit kind of complacent. And it made me really realize, like, well, what is it you want to do with your career? What is it you want to do with your life? Like, book your ideas up a little bit, buddy, like, because that that's just not on what's happened. And I have to take accountability for that as well. So it actually taught me a lot. Um, and, I, and I genuinely would thank him. Um, uh, you know, I might utter knobhead under my breath, but, uh, <laughs> but I, I, would, I would actually thank him. I really would. It's kind of funny how like mergers and uh, takeovers change like people's perspective, right? Like when you become part of a big company, you know, yeah. you're just like, this is not what I signed up for, right? And then you have to change course. Yeah. Well, well I he, think he ran the business I, into the ground, didn't he, Jake? Well, I think there was a few things. Let's not forget uh, his sidekick, Joe, uh, the yeah. HR. Um, I think the biggest mistake that, you know, we're talking about company culture here. I think the biggest mistake that they made was they, they, you know, and this is cross-cultural as well, something, you know, I've come to learn, particularly working in other countries, but they really misunderstood how different the British culture was from the US culture. And this was a London Shoreditch startup through and through, you know, so on Friday nights, we were going to be at the pub. We weren't going to be, you know, working even until 7 p.m. We were going to be down at that pub when 6 p.m. came, okay? That Six? was it. Well, no, yeah, four hours, actually, because we, we worked <laughs> on American time zones mostly. So I think, like, you didn't have to get in for nine. Like, I think I got in nine most and left at six. So it was a nine-hour day generally. But, you know, I tell you what really made the difference was the commission, okay? The commissions that Josie and Rich gave out were healthy, okay? Because not only were they beneficial for my personal, uh, you know, finances, but at the same time, they really motivated me. They were structured in a sense that I knew if I could get this, I could get that much. And if I got that much, then I could improve and help Craig sell my event, etc. So I would get more money uh, effectively. So their commission structure was on point. Unfortunately, that was the first thing that Joe removed. Um, and as soon as he removed the commission structure, you know, the wind went out the sails, basically everybody's, you know, salary dropped from, you know, I'm going to say some numbers in USD, but you know, there was a lot of people in that company earning a hundred thousand dollars a year at the age of 24, 25, 26, easy, you know? And, and I think that it's quite healthy, really. So I would say probably at least 50% of that for most people came in commission, at least 50% of that. So yeah, I don't know. I think removing the, the incentive and get, you know, miss misstepping, misjudging the culture, you know, really led to the downfall of that company. Plus a whole host of other things, you know, like, yeah. um, but it's, you know, it was, it was a time. It's a great point because like, <clears throat> One of the interesting things was nobody in that business, even though we were young, even though like everyone was young with little to no responsibility, everyone cared so much. And I know that's a bit of a cheesy thing, but like, for example, in Jake's team, um, 
there would be full-blown arguments about the quality of speaker, the quality of location, the venue, all these type of things from, from 24, 25 year olds, because they, they obviously, because they were so well compensated, they cared so much about the, the product that if, if one thing was off, they wouldn't have any complacency. So it was, it, it was genuine passion. And, and I do believe that that stemmed from because they saw innovation enterprise as the gateway and the opportunity to achieve what they wanted to in their lives, both personally and professionally. So therefore they, I think everyone was smart enough to realize that actually this is like, this is unique. We've got to capitalize on this and make it the best we can. Um, and then, and then when you took away that incentive, complacency crept in. So people were just like, well, I don't care anymore. Like, why, why should I care anymore? Like, you know, if it's a crap venue and crap speakers, like who cares? Like, and, and that did creep in. Like I saw that towards the end and, and it's a real shame. And then people started to leave, which meant morale slipped and everything else. So it was, um, it was a very quick, like, it still baffles me how quickly it happened. Like, yeah. it, it always does, right? It always does hey, like that. It's six just like to eight months. Slides, right? Six yeah. to eight months, it was... In, 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 literally less than 10 months, man. Right, and yeah. It's like, you've just taken a really healthy, profitable company that was growing at a stupid rate. You've killed it in less than 10 months. Like, it's crazy, man. I think in a service business, when you're not selling a physical good, like, the whole culture is like the business, right? Like, the people are the business. So if the people are not happy, I, not yeah. enjoying their work, then you're done. And, and a lot of the... I mean, we obviously, a lot was written down. But some of the secret sources really were like, you know, like playing pool. Someone go, you know, I've got a tip for you. If you just phrase yeah. it or do it like this, you know, look at the experience that Kat, um, Giles, yeah. Sean, that, you know, they had experience within that business and they knew what was making it grow. As soon as they got rid of like the VPs, done. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Because the, the, the old knowledge just evaporated the, the employees that were legacy weren't happy so they obviously weren't sharing it to any new employees and the company just turned over but craig I, we've got to get more into the gaming bro we've got to get yeah, into yeah. fanatics so. on, 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 on a last note on that is like also the lack of fear the the lack of fear in that company no one feared being fired no one feared being criticized which, which led to, to development because everyone was so comfortable that they weren't, they weren't back against the walls fighting for their lives. Everyone was like a community, basically just helping one another. So feedback, the feedback loop and the connection between feedback and the VPs and very young you know, uh, adults was, was next level, like Jake's saying, and it, and it all fed into it because everyone felt safe. And like, there's a guy called Simon Sinek that is like kind of a bit of a guru for me. And he talks about this, about how if you don't feel safe within your own uh, workplace. You're going to be individual. You're going to be fighting for survival. You're not going to look out for your, for your, your colleague. You're going to be fighting for your life for yourself, right? So it's important to look after your core, where, that they feel safe. And that's your leadership team. And then your leadership team of who in the people in their charge, they'll make them feel safe and so on and so forth. And you literally had that at IE. It's, it's the only company where I've seen it. To be honest with you, mate, like me and Alex, we, we have a lot of conversations about how we're going to structure our business, 
you know, we're building teams. And um, I really do look back on a lot of the innovations, uh, enterprise stuff, like in terms of like their agile format in, in their, uh, their management and team structures. Like obviously when I was coming in, I, I had no idea how effective it was. Then I go to a corporation like Walmart. Actually, yeah. Walmart was one of the better corporations in terms of structure, really good legacy business there. But just the agility of the innovation enterprise being what, like 60 people as a company and being able to turn over plus, you know, 20, 30, 40 million a year is like, it's just incredible. Um, but come on then, after, after IE, after the innovation enterprise, we get into gaming. So how did that go about, mate? Um, so yeah, so obviously leading up from a long-winded story, got um, wanted to get back into sports after IE, and um, and yeah, and this role came up, and I was like, right, I've got to go for it. And and to be honest with you, like like with life, a lot of a lot of it is is luck. Um, and I was right place, right time. Esports was booming, 2017, 2018, and. Uh, the, the the commercial team, uh, my boss at the time, Rasheen, uh, she's at, I think she's at Twitter now, but uh, but she was, she, she was literally just going on maternity. So there was literally me and a guy called Fred, and we were responsible for the business globally on a commercial level. And I walked in and um, Monster Energy, uh, who were the biggest partner at the time, uh, were, I, I jumped in on like two calls on my first week. And I, and I was like, oh shit, they're not, they're not going to renew. Like we, we were just coming into the renewal process of the contract. And so I did something a bit ballsy. I went to the CEO of Alta, who I still know and see a, a fair amount now. And, uh, and I said to him like, uh, Valter, I think uh, I'm sorry for me speaking out of, uh, out, out of depth here a little bit, but, um, I think monster energy, I'm going to renew. And, uh, this is what I think is going on. And this is how. I plan to tackle it. Will you trust me to do it? And he was just like, let me jump on a call. So he jumped on a call and he just went, I don't see it. And I was like, please trust me. I was like, you can't afford to lose this. Just trust me. Let me, let me run with this. So I ran with it. Lo and behold, Monster admitted they were going to not renew. Um, and then I managed to put together a three step strategy on, on how to win them over and get them back. We managed to not only win them back, but actually increase the renewal by like over 50%. <clears throat> and then um, that meant that I gained, I gained the trust of the CEO. And then from that moment, kind of, I was like, well, there's an opportunity here whilst regimes on maternity for me to actually kind of uh, move up quicker uh, and even leapfrog regime maybe. Um, so just went about hustling like a, like, like just like mad. Um, and capitalizing on the energy that was coming in around esports and uh, and yeah managed to do some pretty cool deals man um yeah like i'll never forget doing my first seven figure deal and you know get my first seven figure renewal and you know working discovering companies like OnePlus and um helping gucci get into the space and doing things in milan fashion show and yeah like it's just been uh it's been crazy man well it was crazy and and it was just the, it literally changed my life. Like it, it absolutely changed my life. And Glenn, who was my boss, after Rasheen left, after she came back from uh, maternity, because the business had changed so much. She was, I, I think she was like, I don't really want to work here anymore. And it's like fair play. 
Um, and, uh, and Glenn uh, just completely changed my life, man, like both professionally and personally, um, both in terms of money, in terms of job title, in terms of responsibility. Uh, he was a mentor. He was just everything. And he really helped me get to where I am now. So, um, so yeah, I look back at Fnatic with uh, a big fat smile that we used to work like hard hours, like yeah, 12, 14 hour days every day for nearly four years, uh, weekends sometimes. So it was, it was a hard slog, but uh, traveling the world, which sounds great, but when you're literally, you know, in Madrid one day and then in Texas the next, and all you do is go in business meeting rooms and then you've got to be in Germany two days later. It's like, it's a bit, it does get a bit tiring, but, um, but it was great fun, man. Like I, I loved it. And, and it was a great company that had a lot of smart people. Uh, it was kind of like an incubator of, of smart people. Like the people that have left Fnatic have gone on to huge things. Like Benoit created um, a company that's now been acquired by Nike. And like, you know, it was worth hundreds of millions. Like it's crazy. So, and he was, he was a good friend of mine at Fnatic. It's just, it's crazy, man. Um, if you don't mind me, if you don't mind me jumping back for a second, uh, so what was the the deal with Monster? Like, why why did they want to leave, and how did you win them back? Uh, from what my memory recalls, bear in mind this is twenty eighteen, um, and I've had quite a few drinks since that point, so the brain cells might not be a hundred percent there. But um, but basically, it was a lack of love. Um, there is a culture within Fnatic at the time. Um, this might be a bit harsh, but where there was a bit of arrogance, like Fnatic was winning everything. Um, and it was the biggest team by like a long, long way in Europe. And um, and there was a bit of an arrogance say, to brands being like, you're lucky to be with us, not the other way around. And and I disagreed with that. And I, I, I'm a firm believer that um, with a commercial mindset that your partners are kind of like your your um, your life support in terms of the business at a rights holder. And without a good, healthy life support of partners, your business starts to, to get a bit ill. Um, and and so it was, a, it was a big culture shift, an attitude shift, and it took ages because a lot of people at Fnatic were gamers, hardcore gamers and esports fans. And so they bred this arrogance uh, and they were also uh, young. So a lot of them were coming straight out of uni and they never worked in an environment before where there was a different mindset and attitude. Uh, so it, it took a long time, but a lot of it was just down to love and listening. Like nobody, people would be on these calls with with partners and, and nobody sat and just let, let, like there was no relationship. Like, you know, I'm a firm believer that when you're talking to a big partner, like just, ask them how their life's going for the first 10 minutes, like, you know, get any frustrations off their chest or, you know, how their day's going and, and just shut up, like, and, and just listen and then start the business talk. Um, none of that was going on. So it's just like basic stuff, but um, but that was the primary reason. So they were happy with the KPIs and the results. It's just that they felt like, um, they felt like strangers and, and, and there was no love there. There was no communication really. So, I built uh, clearer communication channels across various departments. Um, little things like, you know, once every two weeks, I'd bring the social media team into the call 
so that they could talk through what's been going on because that never happened before. There was a bottleneck with one person communicating everything in a 30 minute window. And I was like, first of all, that's 30 minutes is not long enough for your biggest partner to be talking to them once every week. I was like, that, that's got to stop. Um, we've got to have multiple calls per week. We've got to have one big call that, uh, that lasts an hour, maybe even longer. Uh, and then we've got to have smaller, two of the smaller calls that are like 30 minutes or less uh, that, that keep things topped up. I was like, and, that, and it was just very basic processes, but no one had, had, had looked after it. Um, and, uh, and yeah, and it was obviously a big success and they were partners to the day, to the day I left. I touched on a few, th few things here that I've got to ask follow-up questions on. Because uh, actually, you're the second guest we've had on that has made this point about if you're going into buying clients or even business, you can't just be talking about the business. You have to come in on a personal level. You need to get to know people. People will know your vibe. They'll sense where you're at. So I don't know. I think that is a, a very good point. But I'd just like to ask, Craig, like you've talked about meetings there. There's one thing that, um, you know, is always a debate between me and Alex here because Obviously, yeah. we've got our regular, um, not partners, uh, clients. We're, we're going to refer to them as partners internally now, Alex. We're going to have to yeah. maybe develop that as a part of our culture. Um, but the, the reality is, is that sometimes we feel like we're turning up to these meetings uh, and we have very little to say, but sometimes it feels like the, the conversation is being forced on. I don't think there's anything yeah. wrong with just having a, a, you know, showing a bit of face on a 15 minute call, if that's all you've got to update, but what's your feeling about meetings? Do you think you can have too many of them? Do you think there's a, an optimum number? Where, where we at? Um, well, to, to, to quickly go into your first point about partnerships and stuff. Um, the reason why I like partnerships from a, from a commercial standpoint is it's not transactional, if that makes sense. So when you talk about a client, it's a pure transaction, right? It's like I'm exchanging money for goods or services. With a partnership, it's more about, well, how do we, on our, on our pathway that we're taking together, how do we help one another? Like this is a two-way street. Yes, there's obviously money involved in the exchange of rights or services, whatever it is. But at the end of the day, like with OnePlus, like how can we help? improve the product of OnePlus through Fanatic mode, which we created. So me and the co-founder, um, oh, what's his name now? Co-founder OnePlus, uh, Carl Pei. We were, yeah, we, we were literally in a meeting room and we'll get on to meetings. Uh, we were in a meeting room late at like eight o'clock on a Wednesday evening. And we were talking about ideas and everything else. And then Fanatic mode came up in that meeting. And, um, and we decided to run with it. And that to me was the, the, the true, uh, like realization of a partnership because they didn't they didn't pay us for that and so so we gave away our IP for free but we in exchange for that IP instead of money we got what I thought was a true value which is uh, which is the partnership itself and we managed to get exposure through their devices and fanatic mode in every single OnePlus device and I used to go to business meetings get my phone out and be like this is the type of partnership that we do name me another another sports organization that's doing this and they were just like wow and it won us won us business you know and and it because it was it was tangible proof that you're not a client you're a partner and that this is a two-way conversation um so i think it's really important especially for commercial people 
Um, then going on to your second bit about meetings, I think um, I think meetings have a great place uh, under the right context and. And, and, and I think with meetings, it's understanding, isn't it, what your team is going through that day, that week, that month. If you're under high pressure environment, i.e., you know, things aren't going too well at the moment during the quarter or the week, and you can sense that the team is stressed, like whether or not meetings are needed and instead priorities are focused on, on, uh, on uh, you know, high priority tasks. I. I'm a firm believer of, of, of honesty, um, like values that I have in my team always are honesty, hard work and pride. Because if you're not honest with one another, you can't work hard. And if you don't work hard and you're not honest, you can't be proud of the work that you do. So I drive these values home within my team all the time. But, I, but the, the biggest one is honesty, because if you don't build the foundation of honesty within your team, you're all just, what are you doing, right? You're all just lying to one another and bullshitting each other. So when it comes to means, I, I, I prefer to have more of an honest conversation with the team and say, guys, where, you know, guys and girls, where are we at? Like, what's going on? What, how are you feeling? Who's stressed? Who's, who's had like shit happen in their personal life that they're bringing into the workspace that's affecting them? Um, and it's like, right, okay, well, we can prioritize these meetings over these ones this week, or we can move things around. And it's about being flexible. like. We, we deal with people, right? Um, and that's the most important thing within your company is, is understanding emotionally, uh, a, a, the like emotional intelligence and empathy about what's going on within your team and then being flexible and, uh, and lead as a leader to tweak and make amendments constantly and communicate very, very clearly why those are going on but listening to your team first before you make those tweaks and those communications so that you can then read the room and understand who needs that meeting, who needs an arm around them, who needs to just get on with it. And, and that's good management in my opinion. Yeah. yeah. Taking notes. I, 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 I got a, I got a question on the commercial side. So like one of the, one of the things I had trouble with, uh, one plus and other companies is like putting a number on stuff. So pricing, like, uh, especially related to IP. So like, how do you, how do you come up with like numbers and pricing? Like when it's related to like gaming IP, is there some kind of process that I'm not like aware of? Like, you know, because typical KOL, right. It's like social, like following and, you know, like, um, awareness and all this stuff. Like how, how do you come up with the pricing? So, uh, how long is a piece of string, right? It, there's yeah. no exact science. People take different models. Some people take more of a, C, um, a CRM model in terms of, um, you know, like how many impressions per 1,000. And, and that's that's how you, you calculate it versus the social media following or whatever it is. Um, others, like myself, took a bit more of a practical approach in terms of I would look at what the industry was, was pricing things at. And then I would say, well, we're were premium brands compared to, excuse me, compared to that competitor. So we should charge, you know, a premium, uh, like rate going on top of that. Plus we know that our social media following is 25% greater than them. So we would then go, right. Okay. Well, 25% plus more margin plus a premium margin of 10% or whatever it is. So we charge an extra 35%. That that's, that, that's how it would be to the industry standard, to the data that we would have. 
Um, that's not a very common approach. Um, no one really knows how to do it. Um, that was from an esports rights holder perspective. From a gaming perspective, um, you know, the, the, we're only just figuring it out um, in terms of how to even sell it. So there's a there's a, a game called Adopt Me on Roblox. It's the biggest game going, and they've just started doing um, partnerships uh, where they're they're essentially licensing their IP to like General Mills, where you know Adopt Me is on you know a cereal box. Uh, they've just done a deal with um, a toy company. I've forgotten the name now. Uh, where they're going to be bringing out their own toy range. So they're, they're I think from a from a gaming perspective, uh, in terms of where I come from, Roblox, Fortnite, the Sandbox, I think we're just starting to get the first movers on monetizing IP and the methodology that they come up with. Who knows how they're going to calculate it? I would imagine it's something to do with the amount of plays, the amount of active users per day, per week, per month, um, the uh, engagement time on those on those games, uh, the community aspect of it, uh, the ecosystem within Roblox and how to monetize digital items, that type of stuff. I think that will all encompass in into the IP proposition, um, and then they'll obviously take that to market and do what they're doing now. But um, yeah, I, I think it's a really interesting one. I think. When it comes to IP, I think WWE is one of the best um, because the way the way they've set up their entertainment business is just genius. Um, and obviously, they're you know they're looking to sell it to the Saudis now for a lot of money. But the way they do their licensing, their merch, their uh, the, the way that they control their streaming essentially with WWE Network. Um, the, you know, the, there's so many different aspects. The product itself, the way that they tap into the heritage side of the business as well, uh, and, and the storytelling through content, they're just absolute geniuses at it. Um, they were the ones that early doors managed to understand that sport was entertainment and that they were in the movies business. And they looked to replicate Disney more than Man United or stuff like this. They got it really really quick, really soon. And, uh, and yeah, and I just, I just love how they do it with their IP. It's just incredible. I'll give you another one. UFC. I think the mm. UFC have also done like the quickest growing sport in the world, you know, in terms yep. of physical combat sports, not, not only physical combat sports, sports in general, like fastest growing, yep. but you look at their, their ecosystem around it, they license it to EA sports, the gaming, their IP, uh, you know, they've got their own um, applications and streaming services. It's, uh, it's also just, you know, thinking about it in the same sense. I've never actually thought about WWE uh, in the way you've just described because, um, yeah, I just think about John Cena when people talk about WWE, yeah, and, yeah. WWE and that's about where it stops for me. Um, yeah. Yes. So we, I, we go on, mate. Go on, go on you first. Yeah, mate. well, I was just saying, like, let just think about Barcelona, right? So, so Barcelona is very similar to Disney in terms of it's got, you know, Disney's got Mickey Mouse. Barcelona did have Messi, right? Um, that, you know, it's other players now, but let, let's just do it for argument's sake. Um, you know, Disney has Disneyland. Barcelona has the, the Camp Nou, um, Camp Nou. Uh, 
you know, Disney has um, content storytelling through its cartoons and its movies. Like Barcelona has content storytelling either on the pitch uh, and the stories that are told there for the performances or for its own content house and production house um, that they have or through its social media. And um, the, the similarities are, are, are very much there. And a lot of uh, brands are, you know, like I, I used to always remember um, clubs like Barcelona and Real Madrid tell me, like, we just want the share of the wallet. And, and they would see Adidas and Disney as a competitor, even though they're a football club. And, and I think that that has started to transform into brands now. Every single brand on the planet has to be an entertainment brand, in my opinion. It has to be. I saw a stat the other day where it's like um, over, over 60% of all content in the world was consumed via video. And, and I was like, that's ridiculous. Like, if you think about that, how many people are on the planet? And, and 60% are watching video alone and, and just video. I was like, that's humongous. So if you're not entertaining people, because why are people watching video content online? They're doing it to be entertained, right? Primarily. Like, of course, there'll be education and things like that mixed in, but the primary source of it will be education, uh, will, be, uh, will be entertainment, sorry. So every brand now has to do another pivot right and another shift to moving away from their traditional models into entertainment and that's why uh, you know a segue now into gaming that's why a lot of them are starting to get into gaming because they're seeing game gaming's bigger than the music and uh, movies industry combined right it's 190 billion dollars like it's it's a big old big old industry you know when you take when you look at gen z 82 percent of gen z are gaming and, it, and all brands want to tap into that audience. So you've got to be in the place where the, where the, the audience is. Roblox has 200 million monthly active users, 200 million. Like, you know, one in three kids in America under the age of 13, I think it is, play Roblox. Like, it's, it's mind-boggling. Um, Fortnite has 80 million monthly active users. Like, these platforms are no longer just games. They're social platforms. So when you when I talk about a social platform, I mean, not many people realize as well, inside Roblox, Roblox has its own um, social media company within it. So um, there are 60 billion, so six zero, 60 billion messages sent on uh, per month on Roblox alone. That's huge. That's bigger than WhatsApp. WhatsApp has 50 billion a month. Roblox has 60 billion. Just think about that. These are not games anymore. These are social platforms. And Society. this is where you will go. Yeah, this is where you'll go to be entertained, to be educated, to shop, to express yourself, to be free. And, and that's what the metaverse is, right? When you, when you make that kind of jump. And brands need to be involved in this and they know that. But the challenge that brands are facing is that they're approaching it with kind of this, um, you know, if this is a pure digital space, but they're approaching it with an analog mindset and they're not understanding the game that they're playing in. Um, and they're going in going like, well, let's treat this like an advertising platform, which is, yeah, you can do that, no problem. But why don't you instead get a bit smarter and think more like an entertainment company and create your own IP within these experiences, right? 
And how do you listen to the community, engage with them and think long-term, like three, five years uh, you know, ahead? And how do you give value back to that, that community in a way that doesn't scream like, you know, oh, come and buy our product. And instead, transform yourself to being fun and innovative and engaging. Um, you know, like Wendy's is a prime example. Wendy's did a, a very smart campaign inside of Fortnite where they created, they got a character, a female character that looked a bit like Wendy's, uh, the, the Wendy's uh, brand. And uh, basically went around smashing freezers because they don't like frozen beef, right? And it was genius. It went viral uh, and, and it, hit, it smashed every KPI going. And now when you look at Wendy's in the, from a Gen Z perspective, it's like the coolest brand in the world. Right. And, and Gen Z now, you know, look at Wendy's in a way that my generation, you'd look at Wendy's and be like, bloody, I'm not eating there. But now like, I go to Camden in, in London where, you know, predominantly Gen Z, you know, live and, and, and socialize. And there's a, f a fucking humongous Wendy's that's been built. And, and you're just like, wow. OK, so Wendy's has transformed their brand through a fairly simple but very effective gaming campaign. Um, where it wasn't about going buying a burger, like it wasn't that. It was just tapping into the fun element of Fortnite that, that linked to their kind of brand value, and 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 it went viral and it was a huge success. So a lot of brands have to think like that now. They have to stop pushing their product and instead take a step back and realize that they don't they don't deserve to be there. They haven't earned their right to play in gaming or the metaverse, and they need to earn it. And, and the way to do that is by doing what Wendy's has done, which is listening to the community, engaging with it and understanding them, and then doing something and asking for nothing in return. And, and that's how you earn your right, you know? Burger King and Steve Nitch. I've got a question, uh, Craig. Uh, so, like, when we were growing up, right, we played PlayStation, right? Like, yeah. most people had a PlayStation, but it wasn't universal. Um, we also did PC gaming. Yeah. Do you think, so do you think, like... Um, so that those two two platforms, they they only touch like a percentage of the population, right? Not everyone does PC gaming. Not everyone does console gaming. Yeah. Do you think like um, do you think this AR VR stuff? Do you think that could like make basically everyone a gamer? Like that could be like the iPhone for gaming, right? Where if you could overlay like like AR for example, if you could overlay like gaming elements in the real world, then technically anyone could be a gamer, right? Yeah, but I think we're I think we're a very long way off that. Um, primarily, like again, let, let's just take Roblox as an example. It's primarily paid on mobile. Um, I think the mobile phone has done more for gaming than a console ever could, to be honest yeah. with you. Um, and uh, and especially a PC, uh, especially in, in in emerging markets like India, uh, where not everyone's got broadband, not everyone can afford a two thousand pounds, you know supercomputer type thing so but everyone can afford a oneplus right which is the biggest market for oneplus is india i think um yeah so uh, and and the technology within your mobile phone now is is just so enabling right when it comes to gaming um but going into ar and vr i mean i i feel that um there is a bit of a misunderstanding from the general public around the metaverse when it comes to this because Everyone's seen Meta and Zuckerberg. Um, you know what I personally think is 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 wrong of what how he's approached it. But um, it, 
everyone thinks that the metaverse has to be lived in a virtual world. Like the metaverse is platform agnostic. It, 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 it lives everywhere. Um, and it's, and it's very much built into the web free, uh, uh, architecture of what the internet is going to evolve into, which is around decentralization. So, you know, we'll see, uh, gaming in, um, in the blockchain. It's already started. Um, it's primarily linked to crypto currencies and, and layer two crypto companies at the moment, but it, it's going to evolve and evolve and evolve. So I think gaming will become um, very much a blockchain thing in the near future. Um, but I don't think it's going to be tied to one platform. Um, I think AR and VR will, will definitely have a place, but it won't be the primary one uh, unless the technology really does uh, jump a few light years ahead. And you can, for example, you know, um, I know there was Microsoft had a patent uh, back in like 2013 or 2014 where you can transform your room into uh, the game. So, for example, if you're playing like Call of Duty, it, it literally will mean that your sofa becomes like the brick wall or something that you're hiding behind and things like this. Um, so I do believe that the technology would get there, but we're quite a few years off. And that's probably more like Web 4 uh, rather than Web 3. But um, but yeah, it's it's definitely going to open more people up to it. But I don't think it will be the primary thing. Mm. Yeah, no, it's uh, there's a lot of hype around it, right? But it's like... Uh, you know, I, I, we're still, I we're somebody, still waiting for the device. I heard somebody making the argument uh, literally a couple of days ago uh, that Web3 has been around since Web2. And, and Web3 is really the, uh, I guess, the coding, the um, the management of Web2. That it, we're actually able to understand how we connect the dots and how to create... Um, I guess, transactional systems between different servers and between different uh, yeah. projects. So that Web3, Web what everybody's referring to in terms of the metaverse, actually isn't really any kind of, uh, I guess, new, um, a new thing that we've developed. It's more an evolution on top of what we've already got. Um, but Absolutely. Uh, it, I think, it, it's go on, mate. Go on, no, no, go on. Sorry, I, I, I interrupted. Sorry, I, you go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, no, it's okay. I, I think, uh, I think that the the oh. it's rigged, train it's of thought now. I think that the VR glasses will basically um, uh, just as long as we can get the connectivity and we can get the uh, <laughs> experience within them. I think that that's where AR and VR will take off. It's it's going to come down to a few different things for me. Uh, and I think that, you know, maybe partnerships as well, helping to expand the use case of things like AR and VR. Uh, because, yeah, as I've already alluded to, I also think that, you know, we live in the metaverse. It's platform agnostic. Mm. So it, it could be a pair of AR glasses. I mean, our phone already has AR capability. Google Lens yeah. can scan horizons and tell me exactly where I'm at. If, if that's not living in the metaverse, uh, I don't know if we're there yet, but I think we are. Yeah, I think you're hitting that on the head in terms of evolution. Um, the way I see the difference between Web 2 and Web 3 is um, it's, it, it's the control of the network and giving, so taking the control away from Google, away from Meta, away from Microsoft and giving it back to the peer. So that, that peer to peer networking, I think is, is going gonna, is gonna to be really important um, to, to Web 3 success. 
it's why you know it's why you've seen NFTs explode, right? Because it was literally making people millionaires overnight because the money was going literally to the pair and it wasn't going to Google or whoever. So I think that would be that would be um, a, a big shift. Um, and you're right in terms of experiences. I think um, I mean, like from a brand's perspective, where you know where I live, um, you know, experiences are so much more impactful than just advertising. If you can create a memorable experience, I'm sure us three here on, on, on this now have an experience with a brand that we think about fondly, right? Um, and it could be anything from, you know, going to a theme park versus, uh, I don't know, going to a gig and, you know, you got free beer or something, right? Like, like there, there'll be some sort of interaction with a brand that's been positive for our lives. And I think that we'll be able to replicate that in the metaverse, but, Imagine being an, an underrepresented individual that uh, feels marginalized within society, within whatever, uh, and you go online and a brand is interacting and engaging with you in a way that no one has understood you before. That is going to be, for that individual, that could be almost life-changing, right? And the brand affinity that they'll have with that, that particular company will last throughout their life, I would imagine. Um, so, and, and there'll be a brand advocate as a consequence of that and much more likely to recommend to their friends and family and all this type of stuff. So I think, think experiences are gonna be really key. Um, and also the beauty of the metaverse is that, you know, your limit, the only limitation that you have is your imagination. And that is bonkers for me. I mean, like, you know, the Fortnite concert that with Travis Scott, everyone references and over references, like there's a reason for it because you can't get 20 million people into the same room. Like it's physically impossible in the, in the physical world. But in the digital world, you can not only do that, but you can have like, you know, snakes coming out of his ears and like blue wacky hair and anti-emails in Mars. And like, you know what I mean? Like that's, that, and, and express yourself in a way that you can't in the physical world. We have these limitations on our bodies and our, and our DNA and everything else, but but your digital avatar can literally be whatever you want it to be. And those experiences can be whatever you want them to be. Um, and, and you have true scale on that. So I think it's a really exciting opportunity, but there's a lot of work to do on the education, um, but, yeah. uh, but that's a whole different kettle of fish. You just mentioned the exciting opportunity. Like we always ask like people like, what's your, like in business, like what's your kind of goal for you? Like, do you want to, do you want to grow a really big company or do you want to like, just like make money and get an exit or, like, what's the plan? So um, with Wolfpad, the plan is that over the next year to year and a half um, to hopefully scale the business where, so we've, at the moment we've got three core pillars, right? They said at the beginning, um, consultancy, sponsorship, and, and digital experiences. So the idea is that eventually um, scale the business so that I can hire essentially a CEO for each one of those pillars and they have their own P&Ls one of the biggest lessons I learned from Fnatic is that if you have the same P&L for all departments, it means that the departments that aren't doing very well and missing literally every single target, again, just as much resource as the ones that are overachieving and smashing every target, which is silly, right? So, so I want them to have their own separate P&Ls so that they can be accountable for, for that. And then from my perspective, I can look at it and go, well, that business pillar is doing rubbish, so let's scale back. That one's doing great, so let's double down, triple down. Um, basically, you have three very smart people running that that report into me, 
and they have their own budgets to build their own teams. And then like, to be honest, just let leaders lead and, and, and let them treat it like their own companies. And for me, I don't want it to be a big juggernaut or anything like that. I don't need it for my ego. Um, I don't need it for my, my balance in life. I love traveling the world and I want to make sure that I can still do that when my body's able and not when I'm like fucking 70 and, you know, walking around with a Zimmer frame. Like I, I think that we've been tricked uh, wrongly by society and corporations to think that. Um, and I think you should travel while you can, while your body is still able and you don't have much responsibility in terms of kids or marriage. Um, and, uh, and yeah, and then eventually either sell it off or, um, or keep milking the cow to the day I die. Like, I don't know, you know, I, I don't know, but that's, that's the plan. Take your healthy dividends, basically. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You spoke like a true entrepreneur, mate, yeah. <laughs> nah, I well, like milking the cow. When are you no. going to take your company? But milking the cows better. Uh, I think that's a, a good, a fair question to ask us back. I think we've really got about, we've, we've got two pillars really. Well, we've got three actually, to be honest, we've got the works app, yeah, works yeah. app, which is in the works. Uh, then we've yeah. got the hype works, which is our main agency. So obviously we do a lot of brands, some gaming brands as well that you might be familiar with. Uh, and then we also have the consultancy. Uh, right now yeah. we kind of specialize a little bit with the consultancy because we help a lot of, uh, Western based firms, um, get to grips with how to operate within, uh, Chinese management structures, less so the Chinese yeah. market, but more. Oh, we've got a media arm, Jake. This is the media arm, the podcast. Oh yeah. Forgot about that one. <laughs> yeah. We need to get some sponsors yeah. lined up. Yeah. Yeah. What about um, Wolfpad Gaming? Oh man. <laughs> God, I'll, sponsor, I'll sponsor you for zero. I'll sponsor you for a bit. <laughs> we'll be partners. Hold we'll be them partners. to that, Jake. One day, one day, hold them to that. <laughs> What's yeah. that, sorry? Hold them to that, hold them to that. Like, we're going to hold you to it. Yeah, exactly, mate, exactly. But that, that's, that, that's great, guys. And, and so when you, sorry, I haven't asked you guys many questions. Like, I'm genuinely interested as well. So um, when you, so you're saying you're building out your teams. So like, what kind of what kind of structure are you looking to go for? Are you going for horizontal or are you going to go a bit different or talk me through it? I think it depends. Like we, we kind of move with the times that, you know, we get projects, sometimes we lose projects. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, people have their skill set. I think when I look back on structures, we, we are quite flexible and I do in some ways uh, take a lot of reference from the innovation enterprise to go full circle, mm. you know, that agile team format and the way that they were able to put marketing sales sponsorship, uh, an organization together as a, as a, like a, a virtual team, effectively as a unique team, that that horizontal flow, as well as that vertical flow, I think yeah. that'll probably be one way in which, uh, I think to structure, but right now, you know, we're building this machine, I guess we're still building you know, the train as well as the track as it's, uh, as it's coming down. So, you know, we're open-minded. We also take uh, a lot of inspiration from, uh, uh, 32 signals. Is it, it's 32, isn't 37 it? 37 signals. 37 signals. Yeah. 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 I, I, I yeah. love their stuff. Alex has introduced me to this. Um, you know, we, we, yeah, we, we still build in both the train and the track effectively. Yeah. I, I think the key is like when you're starting our business, you need to, 
there, there's a temptation to like act big, you know, like try and yeah. you know puff out your chest and say like we're doing this. But actually, I think what draws people to you is like being personal and like yeah. you know like just sharing stuff like we're doing now. I think that's the best way to do it, like one customer at a time, one client at a time, you know. No, that's Ste the best steady, way to do it. steady and slow wins the race, right? Um, yeah, 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 and I, I think I do think there's a lot of ego that's involved in in, in companies. Like, yeah, you get you get these CEOs here or founders that you know uh, who, who maybe have not necessarily achieved much in their career or in their life, and then you know come onto a good idea, and then basically are just like you know get, become authoritarian, right? And it's all. Based I I, I, th I think that's the difference between. I mean, Jake talked about this before. That's the difference between a professional manager and like a founder yeah. or like managing director, entrepreneur, like, like there's a, you know, the reason why Elon Musk is the richest guy in the world is because like, he's driving it, right? He's the guy behind it. Um, and I think like, if you lose that, like, then, you know, you're kind of fucked at the end of the day. I, th I think there's one thing that I'll add on to your sentence there, Alex, because I fully agree with everything that you said, but I think if anything that we are striving for personally is to be ourselves and that's it. Yeah, don't lose sight of that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, one last question for you, Craig. Like we always started to ask this now. Like, what's like one like thing that you kind of think about, like in terms of like business or like gaming or marketing, like that no one really knows about, and you you would kind of recommend to people, like piece of advice, putting you on the spot. Biggest piece of advice. Okay. So, um, if, so, so the, in the industry that I work in, a lot of brands are getting involved, get ill-advised and um, doing one-off PR stunts, doing very like analog activations, right? We spoke about before the kind of the analogy that I'll give is, so I'm a firm believer that no brand has a right to be in a game. I don't think any brand in the world has a right to be in a game. And I think you have to earn it, right? So you have to earn that right to play. And the analogy that I'll give is, so imagine the skateboarding scene in the 90s, right? So you go to a skate park, you've got all these cool skateboarders, you know, Tony Hawk and like all this type of stuff, right? And you're Man United. And you go over there and you've got a Man United branded skateboard. And you say to these skateboarders, buy my skateboard. It's Man United. It's the biggest football club in the world. They look at you and just be like, what on earth are you doing here? Like, get out. Like, you do not belong here. Get out. And it's the same principle for brands in games. Like, if you're, if you're, if you're a game player, right, and you're playing a Roblox game or something, and you see, I don't know, like, uh, you, know, you know, you see, uh, I don't know, beaver town or like a glass company or something in there you'd be like what the hell are you doing here like why are you trying to disturb my game like get out like you're not welcome here and it's the same principle at the moment i think in games that would be the biggest piece of advice that i could give earn your right to play and when you earn your right the community are much more uh open-minded and receptive to you if you just think like an arrogant brand that you, your product's the best in the world and you're changing the world. You may be, you may not be, I don't know. But don't think that you, just because it works in that space, it's going to work in this one. And just think of it differently and earn your right first.
you just reminded me of crypto, right? That's what crypto brands did. They just put their name on the stadium or whatever, right? Yeah. Yeah, right. It's, I guess uh, they went the other way. This, this community is too switched on, man. Like, they're too switched on to it. And, uh, and, and you need to earn it. Earn, earn your right, and then everything else becomes very simple. I fully agree with that. I think... You know, I, I don't want to keep going because I think this is a good place to take a close, but fully agree with that because the amount of times that I've worked on marketing campaigns in companies or with clients and they go, right, we this, this over here is popular, so we need to get into this space. Before thinking, what are the people within that space going to think about either us coming into it or this campaign that we're going to run? Is it going to resonate with you know the yeah. fans of Barcelona or the fans of Manchester United in the example, is it is it going to resonate with the community that you already have and the community that you're trying to tap into? How do we align value between the brand and where we want to go? Love that. Exactly. Let's not name names, Jake. I know who you're thinking of. Let's not name names. <laughs> <laughs> Lips are sealed. All right. Wrap it. Yeah. Look, guys, thank thank you so much. And uh, look, I know uh, I know I ramble a lot, so uh, we've run over time. But uh, yeah, just so passionate and, and and excited by all this stuff. And Jay, yeah. mate, like honestly, it's uh, it's just good to see your face, man. Like I miss you <laughs> over here. So uh, you need to come need to come back to London soon for a, for a piss up. So yeah, I th I think I do. I think you're right. I think I do. Yeah, we'll have a big Absolutely. one. And that. And Alex, mate, it's been great to meet you, man. And uh, and yeah, thanks for the opportunity, honestly. So um, yeah, hopefully I've hopefully I've added some sort of value. Let's 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 get you on again. We want to we want to like, keep a guest coming back and updating us yeah, on cool. their stuff. So yeah, all right, yeah, cool, cool. Right. Cheers, guys. See ya. Bye. Bye, bye, everyone.